I'm talking to uh, Barrister Polly Higgins, who's in Australia to promote the idea of a law against ecocide. How would you describe ecocide? I've given the term legal definition. The word itself has actually been around since the 1940s, but what I've done is I've proposed into the United Nations that we criminalise mass damage, destruction to or loss of ecosystems. I'm also saying that there are two types of ecocide. There's ecocide that's human-caused, which is largely but not entirely corporate activity, um, anything that causes significant harm there. And there's also naturally occurring ecocide, so rising sea levels, um, acidification of the oceans, for instance. And what I'm uh, proposing is that we create a legal duty of care. So it's not only to prevent and prohibit the human-caused ecocide, but also to ensure that we come together and give assistance to those who are adversely impacted by naturally occurring ecocide. Because we've got a big climate refugee issue here. Um, Hasn't there always been provision under uh, war legislation that you're not supposed to destroy um, your opponent's land and... That's exactly right. And that that comes under the Environmental Modification Convention. And in fact, what I'm proposing is that we use the same test for during peacetime. It's known as NMOD, Environmental Modification Convention. It sets out, it's a size, duration or impact test. So it's called a disjunctive test. It's neither or, it doesn't have to be all three. Size is if you're causing significant harm over an area, a territory of 200 kilometres or more. Duration is if you're knocking out an ecosystem for just a season, but it's recognised if you knock out an ecosystem for just a season, you're knocking it out for decades, sometimes far longer than that. Uh, and the impact, that's, that comes down to severity of impact, whether or not it's causing severity of impact to human, natural or economic resources. And the important thing to remember there is that it doesn't actually need a price tag on it to qualify. That's very important here because you know often it can be argued, well, you know, it doesn't matter, it's, it's, it has no economic value. Well, actually, all of Earth and all of life does have value. It may not just be an imposed value, a price tag value, but it has an intrinsic value in and of itself. Mm. So you're actually proposing a, a new statute uh, that would be under international criminal law, wouldn't it? Well, in fact, I, I'm, I'm wanting to fast-track this. So rather than create a new statute, what I'm asking for is just simply an amendment to an existing one. And that makes things far easier. I, we already have what's known as the Rome Statute, and that was put in place in the late 1990s. It was codifying the existing international crimes against peace. So that was genocide, war crimes, crimes against humanity. And it was putting in place the International Criminal Court in The Hague. But during the drafting, what was so interesting, uh, and I didn't know this at the time when I proposed in uh, Ecoside, and and my proposal was that we amend this document, was in fact when it was being drafted, Ecoside was in there, alongside another one called Crimes of Aggression, the run-up to war. So Ecoside was the fifth crime against peace. And this would be in, what, 2004, five? No, it was actually slightly earlier than that. It was between 1985 and 1996. Ah, right, when they were setting up all the Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was was in there for 11 years of the drafting process. So what happened to the ecocide crime in the draft? (laughs) Well, uh, at the 11th hour, quite literally, 
it was removed and amazingly we actually have the, the records of that meeting someone someone took minutes of the meeting but many countries had had gone on record as supporting the law of ecocide and what we discovered was that at the a closed door meeting in the united nations the working group on crimes against environment it was announced by the head of the working group that it was going to be removed as a peace crime and also as a war crime. Uh, no reasons were given. Countries objected, but it was it was removed, and pretty soon after that, the working group was closed down as well. Do we know which countries objected? Well, we do. Amazingly, we have the records uh, and the notes of the UN rapporteurs of that time who, you know, for them this was like having their baby thrown out uh, in the bathwater after 11 years drafting. And what we do know is that, in their opinion, there were four countries that had lobbied against this. So, any guesses? <laughs> oh, I'd say the USA. Yes. <laughs> uh, possibly the UK. You'd be right. <laughs> France. Yes. Um... I hope not Australia. No, not Australia. Who was the fourth one? It was the Netherlands. Now that's interesting. Yeah. Well, you if, wouldn't expect that, would you? Well, if you think back to the mid-90s, uh, here was an oil industry that was really racking up unconventional tar extraction in the Athabasca tar sands in a big way. Also, what was looming over the horizon to be really racked up was fracking. And it was recognised that this would disrupt business plans in a very big way. So this is not my opinion. This is the opinion of the UN rapporteurs of the time. They say that this was vested oil industry interests. Um, and also we know that 1996 was a year where genetic modification first went on the supermarket shelves in America. So it's thought that this was a GM issue as well. And France, interestingly, it was because of nuclear. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, well, especially because, because you think about it, no nuclear reactor will be built unless the government uh, indemnifies it against accident. Exactly. And if you make um, ecocide a crime, ecocide a crime, then nuclear reactors are, uh, you know, they fail accident too often. Accidents waiting, waiting, waiting to happen. Yeah, exactly. So anyone, any government, then saying, well. Um, we will indemnify you against any damage if yes. there's an accident. Yeah. There's probably a prime candidate to be sued under law. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's it's very interesting how this happened. And the thing was, of course, this all happened behind closed doors. You know, you didn't know about it. I didn't know about it. It's only the people who were involved knew about this. And even the objectors at the time, you know, once it was done and dusted and the door was closed, that was that. So the opportunity was lost. So this is why this time round I'm making very sure that everything is out in the public domain in a big way. I mean, we're in a very different position now. We're, we're 18 years on from when this could have and should have become an international crime and we're in a far worse place without it. So that kind of concentrates the mind. And, and given that you know various countries really supported this first time round, then it begs the question, second time round, if you supported it then, then why on earth not now? So you've got an opportunity looming because the statute is coming up for review next year, isn't That's it? That's right, yeah. And this is a very important opportunity because all it requires is for one head of state to actually propose this and to be tabled. And when that happens, then it's really a numbers game. It's, it's a matter of a two-thirds majority of the signatories of that document signing off on it. So there are 122 countries signed up to the document. 
I and that then means that we're looking at 82 countries signing off on this. In fact, it's 82 people in the world that can make this oh, yeah. international <laughs> law. And when we've got small island states that will be protected from naturally occurring ecocides, that's you know 54 small island states, and most of them are signatories. You can see how we start to get block votes in place. Different countries uh, come on board and, and support this for different reasons. I mean, there are a number of countries that already have ecocide or protection of the environment uh, in yeah. their national legal systems. Yes, as a Do you a expect them to support that at the international level? Well, here's the interesting thing. I, there are ten countries that have ecocide as a crime on their statute books. I, the very first one was Vietnam. I, unsurprisingly, in a way, they put it in place in 1990, I really as, as a result of the outcome of the Vietnam War. I, but what happened was, in 1996, when ecocide was removed from the Rome Statute, Russia pulled out of being a signatory. And what they did was, instead, they put in place in their own national legislation the International Crimes Against Peace. So we don't really know why it was that they pulled out, but they, they clearly stood by the international crimes because that was put into place in their own legislation. And then, of course, Russia collapsed. But what came out of that is that nine uh, independent states then implemented ecocide as, an, as, as a crime and recognising it as, a, as an, an international crime against peace in their own criminal penal code, even though it's not an international crime yet. I, so... I mean, you could question it in, in terms of these are not the countries that best govern their own legislation, but I'm beginning to question whether not an awful lot of other countries don't, don't best govern their own legislation as well. And this is one of the real kind of primary drivers of having it put in place as an international crime, because often when you have national legislation, if it doesn't suit governmental purposes, it's just simply overridden or ignored or, or rolled back. But when you put it in place as an international crime, that can't happen. Now, the question that obviously gets asked about this is how effective would it be to have uh, the International Criminal Court with ecocide on its books? Yeah. Well, you know, this is very interesting because there's a lot of debate around this. I, do we set up a whole new international a criminal court specifically for the environment and there's a huge coalition of organisations that have now just actually literally proposed that in Brussels uh, last month. Uh, so there's a lot of narrative around this within the international legal community. Another way of uh, dealing with this is that the international criminal court that already exists in The Hague has its remit extended to deal with uh, ecocide as well, but that the decision-making can be decentralised as a preliminary decision uh, that there's a case to be made out here and an order made that a neutral court in another country is set up as a, an ad hoc ICC court. And actually, we already have precedent for doing that. So that what that does is actually it spreads the burden of bringing these sorts of cases because the ICC itself is, is a very important piece of hardware, but it's in desperate need of an upgrade. It, it only has four courtrooms and it has a backlog of cases, so it has 2,000 cases referred to every year at the moment. You know, most of these cases take years to run. Mm. 